And the holiness of the whole service just fell out the window at that point. I'm going to tell you, I mean, like the sense of reverence at Pittman Park. And then I had the, do you know why the sense of reverence in the traditional service went out of the park right then? Because my first thought, my immediate thought was, you know what? I'm going to have to do a selfie from the pulpit now. I thought, Rome and all, here I go. And then I thought, these people are going to kill me. And, and so I, I didn't do it. I didn't take a selfie from the pulpit over in the traditional service um, because I thought it might incite um, a, a riot. So um, <laughs> it's okay. You know, it's just a sense of decorum over there that maybe we, we don't have or ascribe to over here. So we're here for a good time. Um, I thought it was so funny to see uh, Bill and Jared in a groupie uh, just like we had done. Isn't that what you call a selfie with more than one person a groupie? Is that right? Okay, so I'm making it up. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're glad that you are here at Pittman Park. Uh, it's been an exciting time uh, to be around Pittman Park. We've been in this series, Living the Five, um, for four weeks now. And so what I want to do is I want to go over with you the different principles that we've learned so far, because we only got one more week after this one. Um, so we're, we're four parts into the series. And so I'm going to review the first three principles we've talked about. Then I'm going to talk about the fourth principle, and next week you'll get the fifth, and so we'll all be living the five next week. So here's the first principle. Do you remember it? Growing people. That's right. Growing people pray. Let's do that again. Growing people. That's right. Growing people pray, and praying people grow. And the reason that is, is because when we pray, we open ourselves up to God's presence in our lives and in our world, and God reveals to us His plan and His purpose for our life, and also, we get clued in to God's plan and purpose and His working in this world. Um, so as we understand those things about ourselves and about God, we grow. Growing people pray, and praying people grow. Now, week two, we learn that you can't do... Okay, that was a little weaker. A little weaker, okay? So you can't do life alone. Let's say that again. You can't do... That's right, you can't do life alone. We need each other. We are wired for relationship. We see it from Genesis. You know it in your own life that you are designed, that you were created, that you were wired to be in relationship with other people, and you are in fact wired to be in a relationship with God. This is why whenever we're hurt or we're living in a broken relationship, that we feel so much pain because we're created to be in a relationship. So whenever we're not, when we're outside of a relationship with God, or even in our interpersonal relationships, when we're in a broken relationship with someone else, we feel great hurt and great pain because part of what we are wired to do is to be in relationship with other people and with God. So you can't do life alone. That's the second principle that we learned about. Now, last week, Bill was here in the borough, and he introduced a third principle to you, and that is that blessed people... Nice. It's up on the screen, too. You guys have been cheating all this time? You can say it louder than that, right? Blessed people. Okay, and that doesn't just have to do with uh, your wallets, right? Blessed people, blessing people isn't just some sort of gimmick for tithing or some gimmick to get you to give to the church. Certainly, giving is part of blessed people blessing people, but it's not the end-all and be-all of it. What we're actually asking whenever we say bless people, bless people, is uh, to share not only your financial resources, but also the many, many, many gifts that are represented in this congregation. Some of you are artists. Some of you are writers. Some of you are great with kids. Some of you can't stand kids and would rather be building something. And that's fine. That's a gift. All of those are gifts. 
And so when we say blessed people bless people, we're talking about more than money. We're talking about sharing our giftedness, our giftedness with the community of faith and with the kingdom of God. Blessed people bless people. So are you ready for week four's principle? Week four, everybody give me four. Because we're not quite at five yet. we got four up in the air. Here's week four's principle. It is that saved people serve people. Say it with me. Saved people serve people. Let's do it again. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people as a response to what God has done on our behalf. I want you to hear something from Philippians chapter 2 this morning. This is, um, I alluded to it um, a little bit earlier when we were getting ready to pray. But I want you to hear this section of scripture from Philippians chapter 2. This text that we're going to be hearing is actually part of a hymn, an ancient praise song of the church. So this is a hymn that was sung in the the community of faith at Philippi, the church at Philippi. uh, This group that Paul writes a letter to, this is a song that they're singing in that church. And it goes like this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And now the song begins. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used at his own advantage. I promise y'all, in the Greek, all of this rhymes. Um, (laughs) Who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. If you have your notes open or you're looking in your your Bible or on your smartphone, highlight the word servant. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know what that hymn is called? There's a title for that hymn. That hymn is called the Kenotic Hymn, and Kenotic's a big theological word, so what I want to do is give you a definition. Kenotic means self-emptying. It's a song about God's self-emptying, how God let go of God's might and God's power and God's majesty and God's grandeur, how Jesus Uh, The Son of God saw all of those things and said, you know what? My Father's will is more important to reconcile His creation. And so the Son of God, Jesus Christ, lets go. Let's go of all of that power, empties Himself of all of that power and all of that majesty. And becomes a servant to humanity. Becoming obedient, even obedient unto death on a cross. And do you get what this Philippian community is singing to, them, to each other, what Paul is trying to get them to hear in their very own words, he's saying to them, he's saying to that community, he's saying to us that we should relate to others in the very same way that Jesus related to us by lowering ourselves, by emptying ourselves, by choosing to be less so that others can know the grace and the love and the peace and the hope of Jesus Christ, so that others can be reconciled to God, so that others can be welcomed into the family of God, so that other, people's, other people can experience the incredible blessing of being in a relationship with God and in relationships with others who are pursuing 
that very same goal. Paul is saying to this community, listen to what you sing. You sing about the very thing that Christ is calling us to do, to become servants. Remember, saved people serve people. Paul knew it nearly 2,000 years ago. That that very simple principle, save people, serve people, has the power to change the world. Because we're called to serve the world. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you haven't been saved just to be saved. You haven't been saved so that you now get to join a club of people who gets to stand over here and go to heaven while everybody else goes to hell. You've not been saved so that you can stand across the line. You have been saved in order that you might serve, in order that you might bless, in order that you might share, in order that other people might come to know the God that you know. The Savior that you know, you've been saved for a purpose. You've been saved for a reason. But we mess that up in church all the time. Because we get into little holy huddles. We get into into little cliques and little groups. And we pretend like everything's okay over here and that we don't care about what's happening out there. And we know good and well, you know good and well, that the world that we live in is suffering. It's suffering under the weight of sin. It's suffering under the weight of brokenness. It's suffering under its own consumption and consumerism. People live broken lives. And God's not calling us to huddle up and stay away from those people. God's calling us and God's sending us out to intersect those people, to intersect their lives with our life with the life of this community and with the very life of God. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your age, no matter how much ability you have or you think you have or think you don't have, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to understand that your faith is not simply an inward expression of your piety. It's not about how many prayers that you've memorized or how many scriptures you've memorized or how often you go on spiritual retreat to the mountains so that you can see the butterflies and the birds. It's not about all of that. That's not the end all and be all of your faith. Your faith has to be expressed outwardly. And the way that we express our faith outwardly is through service. By reaching out to people in the very same way that God reached out to us. You know the way that God is working in your own soul, but the world will never know that if you're not willing to serve, if you're not willing to reach out. Our dedication to Christ, our relationship with Jesus, it isn't only expressed in the way that we relate to our Heavenly Father through prayer and through study. So Paul writes the church in Philippi and says, listen, it's great that you're growing in your spiritual life. But are you doing, are you having the very same mind that Christ had to make yourself nothing that others might know God and might know God's presence in their own life? John, uh, the apostle, he, he has this very same thought for his community of faith. If you have your Bibles or your, your bulletins with you, open up to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 18 and verse 23 at the little end of that passage. Um, so John 3, 1 John 3 15 to 18. That's the letter, not the gospel. 1 John 3, 15 to 18. 
John sees how important this principle that save people, serve people is, even for his own community, which is in a whole other part of the world. He writes these words. He says, all those who hate brother or sister are murderers. Strong words from a guy named John. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children. That's, by the way, John's favorite saying to his community. Anytime you see um, John's writings, he refers to the people that are in his church that he founded in this community of faith that he helped found. He calls them little children. He says, little children, it's, it's, it's an expression of love. Little children, let us love. Let us love, John says, not in word, not in speech, but in truth and in action. Let us love, not in word or in speech, but in truth and in action. The church throughout the 20th century, well, probably since the Enlightenment, has been really good about loving people in word. About saying nice things to people who are hurting. But not really doing anything to change the world that they live in. Our church, yeah, we're guilty of it too. We sit idly by when people are homeless right here in Statesboro. We sit on our hands when we know that a couple dollars can buy a mosquito net tent that can protect a family for three years from malaria, the number one killer in the world, one of the number one killers in the world. We sit on our hands and what we ought to be doing is not simply loving each other with words but in deeds and in action, in truth and in action. If we're really who we say we are, if we really are the people of God, if we really are the church, then part of what that means for us is that we don't just sit in a building and sing nice songs, but that we actually are sent out into the world carrying the gospel with us as we meet the world in its deepest need. That's what it means to be the church, not to huddle up somewhere and pretend like everything's okay. When it's very clear that it's not. When it's very clear. When it's very clear that it's not. And so, John, in verse 23 of chapter 3, he says this, and this is his commandment. This is Jesus' commandment. That we should believe, excuse me, this is God's commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. That we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he has commanded us. Believe in Jesus Christ and love one another. Saved people believe in Jesus Christ. People who serve express their love for one another and for the community in which they're located. Let me break this down for you a little bit. Wherever you are in your life, if you're a business owner, If you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a student, if you're a teacher, if you're a banker, if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, if you work on 
you work on engines all day, if you don't have a job, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. We all have opportunities every single day to serve others and express the love of God to the people that we meet day in and day out. And the place where you will most be of service is not inside of this building. For 99.9 of you, the place where you will be of greatest service to the kingdom of God is not inside the four walls of this building. I'm a preacher and I love the church. And this weekend, I'm going to an annual conference with church pastors and lay people from all across South Georgia. Now, we're going to talk about how great things are inside of our church, but I got to think that we're missing the point if we're not talking about how we are meeting the world in their deepest need by leaving our comfort zone and being of use out in the world. You will be of greatest use to the kingdom of God outside of the four walls of this church. You will be of greatest use in your office, in your home, at your work, when you're out at the ballpark and you see that one dad who's going nuts because the t-ball team hasn't hit a home run yet and you see him and you say, hey dude, it's okay, it's just a game. When you intersect, your life intersects his life and you say, you don't have to act like that toward the kids. When you intervene, you're living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Whenever you see someone hungry out on the street and you stop and you give them something to eat or a few dollars so they can have a place to stay tonight, you're being the body of Christ. You are expressing the love of God to another person. Save people, serve people. That means in your everyday interactions, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are called to be the representatives of Christ and think to yourself, what is it that I should be doing as a child of God for that person over there? Because they may not know it, but you know what? God loves them. How can I express that to that person on the street? How can I share that truth with them? It's probably not through a Bible track. It's probably by coming alongside of them, stopping for a few minutes to talk, giving a hug to a coworker, sending flowers to the person in your office that just lost their mom, cooking a meal for somebody who's just gone through surgery, or just sitting on the front porch or in the den of that lady down the street who can't get outside of her house. That's how you express the love of God. That's how you serve people. And yeah, if you want to come and hand out bulletins on Sunday morning, come on and do that too. But understand, that's, that's not going to be the place where God uses you the most. God is going to use you the most wherever you find yourself the most during the day. Maybe it's your office, maybe it's your house. But wherever you are, God wants to use you, wants you to serve the world so that the world can know his great love. You don't have to be in the church to serve. You don't have to try and do great things. Simple acts of kindness, simple acts of grace and love can make all the difference for a world that is lost and is hurting. That's why in just a few minutes as we go through the liturgy of the great thanksgiving, and receive Holy Communion. We will pray as a community to be one with Christ, one with each other, and one to ministry to all the world because Christ is calling us 
not simply to be a part of the church, but to be a part of his plan for reconciling the world to himself. And I want you to know, I want us to know, I want to know my, for myself that we will never become the people that God intends us to be or the church that God intends us to be if we're content to sit here on our hands, to huddle up and pretend everything's okay instead of reaching out to the world. We will never live in to the calling that God has on our life if all we do is stay in these four walls. Christ is calling us from this place out to meet a world in its deepest need. Would you pray with me this morning? Holy God, thank you for coming among us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to walk with us, to love us, to share grace with us, that we might receive healing and wholeness so that we might share healing and wholeness with the world in which we live. Help us, God, to receive this meal. Let it strengthen us for the work that lay ahead. Remind us that though we've fallen short of the high marks that you've had for us, that you are indeed a God of grace who gives us restoration and hope. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.